Welcome, bienvenidos today to the In Living Spanglish podcast. Also, I want to go ahead and mention Happy Yay Day, aka 10 years from the one and only album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. If you are wondering who is on the mic right now, freaking out that this historic day has come, this is your host, Vero Fuerte, and also um, Gordon Ramsay's other adopted Mexican child. I have my co-host here, Mr. Mexican Natsu. What's up, Ricardo? Uh, you already know what it is. Your boy back in the, back in the, in the building, like always. Uh, you said other Mexican Who's the first? Who's the other ones? Uh, me. Of course, we're over here, like, trying these, like, sparkling Christmas sweater, but, like, ears. Yeah, but who are the other Mexican adopted children? You said other. Yes, like, you and I. Like, you and I make up, like, his uh, contribution to society to, you know, help out, like, minority children everywhere. Um, uh, I, I don't agree with that. No. But, um... I wouldn't call it Yay Day. I would call it Dark, dark Fantasy Day for sure. Yeah, that's Yay true. Because Yay, Yay Day, though, Yay day is, uh, I, I reserve Yay Day for his birthday more well, than anything okay. else. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, okay, it is very much uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy Day. Um, I always forget, like, I don't ever keep in mind exactly what day of the year this day falls in, but I do know that I was, uh, I basically got alerted to it by twitter yesterday so i was like ready up and ready today to like celebrate and you and i've been bumping the album all day today and it just it, it takes me back to when i first heard this album i think i was maybe what in like 10th grade of high school or something like that it and had, it had to be uh junior year because it came out to don 10 junior year oh yeah yeah no you right you right okay so 11th grade of high school and i just remember being so excited that when this album came out i was blown away first off with this is if if i had to count it on like my favorite albums of all time when it comes to kanye and his discography well like his solo albums it's easily in my top four and to me like there is no lackluster track except for maybe one or two in that whole album like it's just like supreme like godliness like in and out in and out for me oh uh, yeah i feel the same way i think well, i remember seeing i think one of my first i can't remember when he announced it i don't i don't remember when he announced it but i do remember seeing the power video when it premiered i do remember that i remember seeing the monster video trying to find that on youtube because it was banned off mtv at the time so it was like very very hard to find wait why was it banned again because the imagery you know had like like the oh, girls like yeah, naked yeah. Mm -hmm. it had them like some of them were like like headless mm -hmm. uh it had them like sitting next to like a dead girl stuff like that so it was like banned off mtv and the only way you could really watch it was on youtube you know and it was like the crappiest version too it was like 360p it was uh but it was like you know just those, those days on YouTube where, you yeah, know. Yeah, where you could actually get, like, really good, like, leakage of really good stuff. Yeah. So, I remember that. I remember the, the Good Friday tracks leading up to it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it just, it, I, 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 and I also remember not hearing it on when it came out. I remember when it was, I remember missing it because I'd forgotten that it was dropping in November. Because November, December is not really known for, like, rap album dropping you know you have like christmas albums coming out but i remember gambino talked about this because of the internet because that came out in december 
And he, I remember in one of his interviews with The Breakfast Club, he brought up the fact that uh, albums almost never get released in December. And if they do, it's not really the... the Usually the, summertime, yeah. If they do come out in December, it's not like the best plan because you have all these other artists that are maybe in different genres that do better during the wintertime than hip-hop. So that was one reason. And I, I don't think I heard it until like maybe two weeks later mm-hmm. after it dropped. But, yeah, I mean... It's, it's dark fantasy. I mean, there, there's not too much I can say about it that hasn't already been been said. I know. I think that I think one of my favorite things about it, and I mean, I think this comes true with like a lot of albums in general. It it was basically the album of my life for just whenever I think back, whenever I think back into moments where I want to remember. You know, like, it, it's hard to explain because the reason why I love this album, other than obviously, like, sonically, it's really, really great. But this album is just so, it's just so raw in a lot of different ways. For me, primarily, it's the the themes behind it, the themes of, like, excess and, like, hurt and pain and modesty and, like, and, like, and gluttony and... And the struggle between power and different things like that, that's that's something that can be universally understood. And to me, it's 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 very much a classic because I can remember different times in my life where I can throw on that album and a large portion will always apply to like what I'm going through at the very least. Like it's just it's just something that can always be appreciated. But you're right. There's not a whole lot about this album that can be said that hasn't already been touched on um but just one thing i do want to say mm-hmm. is that i have a hard time kind of like saying is this like almost like a was this one at the time so we're gonna go back to like 2000 2009 2010 uh-huh. is this almost like a victory lap for yay or do you consider it like a new beginning where this this ushered in like a new sound for hip-hop because think about it before that it was 808s and depending on how you feel at the time, 808s was very po- polarizing. Either you loved it or you hated Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I hated it at first, yes. So some people will say that 808s is a victory lap because you, the, the, you have the trilogy. You have, you have the, the school-based trilogy. You have, you, have, you know, college dropout, labor registration, graduation. People say that, you know, that's a home run, hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. And then 808s, like I said, is very polarizing. So would you say that's a vic? So if you include that within, like, the four classics, okay. And then I guess dark fantasy could be considered a victory lap saying like, you know, this, there's nothing this man can't, can't do kind of thing. But some people will look at it as a, as a resurgence because of everything else that was happening at the time. So coming off of the eight ways where he received a lot of uh, negative criticism because of the, the different sound and people, you know, didn't like it in general. Which is so ridiculous because like you think about it and literally a couple of years later, everybody's doing the exact same thing that he's fucking doing. So it's just, it's, it's funny to me, but yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, that's that's something that's kind of coming to my mind lately. It's like, okay, is this a victory lap for Ye? Or is this him ushering in a new sound? And even then, I feel like that's kind of a weird thing to say because it's not really... I think it stands on the league of its own because there's nothing that can, like, really recreate. Nobody can, like, really recreate the sound he had how would you on that describe, album. Yeah, how would you describe the sound on that album that makes it different than something from, like, 808s 
because uh, I feel like it leans, like, I feel like Yeezus and Dark Fantasy have more in common than Fantasy and 808s, obviously. Like, student right, movies. right. I think, and I think um, 808s is another good example where it stands on a, on a league of its own. You know, it's so, uh, it's on its own plateau. And, like, not, not saying that it's just, not, and just because something on its own plateau doesn't mean that it's great. I mean, 808s is great regardless, but just because something is different doesn't mean it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Dark Fantasy, there are so many elements. To me, the, the biggest thing about 808 is the juxtaposition. And I think that's a, a thing that he ushered into the new hip-hop sound, where you take these you take these sounds that are so polarizing from each other, you take these strings in, the, in these harmonic choirs, but you put in Mob Deep and Wu-Tang drums mm-hmm. to it. You know, And I think that was a big um, proponent in why it's so successful. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, throughout, especially throughout the 808s and throughout the fantasy, um, and even the, especially throughout the Yeezus uh, rollout, when all of those albums were rolling out, he he would constantly get criticism in the in the terms of, you know, oh, I miss, you know, uh, late registration days, yada, yada, primarily because the people that criticized his sound would say that, you know, um, they didn't basically they didn't improve the uh, of the chances that he took with auto tune and different things like that just like you said but the thing is is that if you look at it thematically like in almost all of his albums they still it's not that they sound the same but they still have like a lot of similar correlations and like the way that he includes like orchestral instruments and things like that with the new sounds like in 808s he he includes orchestral stuff with autotune and in uh, beautiful dark fantasy he includes orchestral stuff you know with other new sounds it's like you can say that uh kanye does different sounds in every single album it's true like every album is supremely different but he still has he still has his signature things that he loves that you can if you're if you're someone who actually studies it you can see the similarities and you can see like the rhythm and the rhyme that's pretty constant throughout a lot of his stuff so going back to the initial question do you think it's a victory lap or you think or do you you think it's like a ushering of a new sound because i think it's looking looking at it in hindsight Mm -hmm. i definitely think it's a victory lap because i think the new sound was ushered in with 808s and I yeah. think this was just him proving again that he can recreate himself and it be, you know, God level. And it can still and it can still work. No, I would uh, I would agree with that. I think the people that would say that it's a new sound would say mostly because I mean, it does. Ha- it does have some auto tune, but it doesn't uh, because I th- when I think of 808 is heavily an auto tune album. But like, I feel like a lot of people were kind of on the edge of their seats for dark fantasy to come out because there was so much like backlash and there was so much criticism with 808s that when they were waiting to see if this was going to be like a resurgence album or uh, if they were going to see if this was going to be a resurgence album or something that he was going to quote unquote make up for they were trying to see if it was going to if it was going to have a lot in common with the last one and i think that basically this was just another one of him like you said him proving them wrong saying that i can reinvent myself as many times as possible and it's still going to work yeah because we also have to think about all the stuff that was happening at the time with the taylor swift situation uh obama making his comments him being you know acting wild and out with amber rose so 
there was a lot of things that, you know, made, you know, that made Dark Fantasy possible, first of all, as a concept. I also want to say that you, you bring up the whole auto-tune thing, and that's crazy because with so many years that have passed, I don't even think about 808 in the turn, in terms As of in like... auto-tune? But that's all I ever heard when it first right, came Right, right, right. Yeah, because of the whole T-Pain thing, because yeah. that's, that's what it was at I was the time. one of those people that made fun of it, like, the whole time. I never, I never, even then, I didn't really think too much of it. I knew it was a different sound. Yeah. But I think I've been so conditioned to auto-tune and that sound by the time we got to 808 because of T-Pain, yeah. because of different people who were using it, yeah. that it just... Yeah, of course it sounded new for Ye, but like I said, it was never something that really bothered me. And I've never had a problem with, with auto-tune, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Never did. I always thought when, when Jay-Z did Death of Auto-Tune, I thought it was kind of corny. I, I like the song, don't get me wrong. The song is amazing. I just think the whole concept of like, oh, we're going to kill off this thing. I'm like, because you can't, you can't. Auto-Tune's alive and well. It's still being used to this day. Yeah. So I've never looked at 808s in that aspect. Uh, I mean, I looked at I look at it more as, the, as like the subject matter that's covered in hip-hop for sure. I looked at it in that as like what can be talked about in a hip hop album regarding lost and and heartbreak and losing a loved one and you know also the sounds too just a lot of the different and it'd still be considered a hip hop album because it was a deeply emotional like a deeply emotional album not just about like heartbreak in a romantic sense but like heartbreak in the sense of like what do you do when you get on a level where suddenly you feel so um uh, like. Uh, that you can't relate to the people that you love anymore you know well, yeah i mean of course like his mother passing too as well yeah, that was exactly. a big that was a big uh, part of it as well exactly so do you think like all in all that like uh my beautiful dark twist in fantasy happy birthday happy 10th birthday it can be considered a classic more or less would you put it yeah, up there yeah of course it's been a classic mm-hmm. it was a classic like five years ago in my opinion yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and in general, like, do you think that classics still exist? Or do you think that that's because that's a term that is, to me, is used a lot in the zeitgeist, especially around Twitter and different things like that, when people just like to shout out that everything nowadays is a classic. Yeah, this is something that's kind of been on my mind lately, where, yeah, and I think it's because of that oversaturation of the word to like, Anything that people fear is like fire or like trendable, I guess, on Twitter is automatically labeled a classic, you know. And I think it's, I think we just have to, I think it's all about this idea of, of preservation, you know, if that makes sense, where there's some things that just need to be, need to be more considered before throwing out a certain word to certain but things. We, but Ricardo, we live in a hyperbole-esque culture, okay? If something's not a classic, then it's trash. You know this. Yes, I get it. Uh-huh. Yes, you know, you can flame emoji, you know, a song or an album all day you want. But I just think that the idea of what is deemed a classic now is almost kind of gone, you know? I think it's kind of hard to look at a lot of albums and think of them in the sense of a Illmatic. Think of it in the sense of a reasonable doubt as a 36 Chambers, as a... You know, I'll, I'll even go to a different genres as a as a kind of blue Miles Davis as a Led Zeppelin four, as a as a Ride the Lightning by Metallica. They're just because to me, I think I think that uh, well, I mean, classics exist in. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think classics exist in the sense where it's based on longevity and it's based on impact. Mm. In my personal opinion, those two things are like the key reasoning as to what makes something 
a classic. Well, here's the thing is that's exactly what I was going to say as far as the uh, the argument of longevity is like the definition of a classic to me is I mean, yes, longevity and impact as in something that stands the test of time. But the issue with that is, is that I mean, we live in the, we live in a world right now where we have so much coming out all at once and so much to ingest all at once that before we really we don't get a chance to sit with things anymore. Right. And so when we don't get to sit with a movie or an album, it doesn't get to stick with us, you know, like it's on to the next one. Exactly. It's on to the next one. It doesn't get to stick with us, you know, like 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 good rice, you know, on like like the inside of your of like oh it's just like good sticky soul food and like that's what that's that's what classics are to me stuff something that sticks your ribs you know at the end of the day you know and that you don't forget about it and that you tell people about it later on and that you know it 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 impacts you for years to come but when it's on to the next one so quickly i i've seen so many great films like these past couple of years so many things that have uh, so many things that i've thoroughly enjoyed but it's hard for me to look back at any of them really now that i think about it and call them a classic and not feel like i'm being like i'm cheating that expression you know yeah for sure and i think it has to do with like like you said the the life the, the shelf life mm-hmm. of certain how many uh, years do you give some project can you put a number on the amount of years a project has to sit there for it to be considered a classic i think there's some argument to be made there i don't like to put a certain number on it i don't think it should be made like within a week or a month but i think there should be like an overall consensus like okay it's been x amount of years and the majority of people on the face of the earth are really digging this project you know whether it be music film a book whatever i think this is a classic i think we got a classic on our hands definitely Mm -hmm. What's the wildest thing that you've seen recently that somebody's called a classic that you're like, bitch, like, what are you thinking? Like, what is this? Mm, I don't know, to be honest, because I don't really pay attention to, the, to those conversations. Uh-huh. I don't really pay attention. Like, people be saying, I'm just like, what? Yeah. And I just leave my little reaction meme. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like, like, you can't be serious. Like, I think somebody said, oh, I think I saw somebody, somebody said, uh, For Your Eyes Only by J. Cole with a classic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, man. As much as I do like that album, it's not a classic. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. Um, I think somebody else said a KOD by J. Cole with a classic. I'm like, no. Exactly. And that and that also leaves into like the impact thing. You know, like longevity is a thing, but also like if you can take this album and you can think of so or this album or this movie, you can think of so many other like concepts and so many other like things that were. Uh, themes that were birthed from it uh, from like movies and albums that followed after it then i think that definitely gives you you know room to call it a classic more or less yeah and also like going back to like the whole you know the speediness of how we consume uh entertainment now you know it is a big part of streaming for sure you know we i don't want to think of like music as disposable even even if it's great you know i don't want to like be like it's on to the next one because just because I don't label something a classic doesn't mean I don't love it any less. You know, exactly. There's there's plenty of projects where, like, I don't think, I don't think, um, I'm trying to think of a Drake project. Like, I don't think, I don't think Scorpion is gonna be a classic. Hell no. 
But hell no. <laughs> exactly. But I do. But I do like it. There, yeah. there are there are a lot of songs that I do love on the that's album. That's the one that's like a million years long, right? Yeah, it's like twenty four yeah. tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty two tracks. No. I yeah. mean, I, I could have done without that album personally, but you know that that's that's me. But okay. Yeah, and also, like you gotta think about. Like, go back to the 80s, go back to the early 90s, even late 90s, early 2000s, even. Like, when you had an album, that was it. You know? Mm-hmm. When you bought Three Feet High and, Ri- three feet high and Rising by De La Soul, that's all you had, probably. For the for next the, three months. For the next three months. Yeah. That's all you had. When you bought freaking Die Hard on VHS, that is all you had to watch, you know, unless you caught something on TV. And you knew were gonna be playing like bumping that like cd on in your car on repeat like over and over and over whenever you bought a new album you knew what you're gonna be listening to for those next couple like when you were riding around you know and now it's like as soon as soon as a new single drops as soon as a new album drops you know uh, for me personally sometimes it's difficult just to know what direction that like what i want to play like i i pull up my spotify on fridays and i get sometimes overwhelmed with like okay what album do i want it's like such a first world problem but it's a but it's an interesting problem to discuss in terms of art because it's almost like we fall into this whole like analysis paralysis thing where when I don't know what I want to sink my teeth into, it's like I never really get a chance to sit down and appreciate any one thing, you know, unless I'm followed that particular artist super, super closely. Um, but yeah. And, and lastly, I think it's this whole notion of like, you know, a FOMO, you know, fear missing out. Because I think we, we're living in the, in this trendy uh, Twitter-based culture where if you're not listening to what's trending on Twitter right now or on Instagram or wherever. So you, you can have an opinion on so it. So you can have an so, opinion. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're not listening to it and you're like, you have your headphones on, you have it in your car, and you're like, okay, I listen to it. I got it out the way. And yeah. that's it. And that's the, and how we think about it. Like, you got it out the way. And that's all that matters. You know, you may not even like it a month from now. But the fact that you can, like, recall. like, And I, I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They get on Twitter and like, oh, yeah, I remember when this came out. But that's all you remember. That that hype did you feel when it came out? You don't remember how it made you feel a month from um, for a month from them, three months from them. You just remember that moment, and and I don't think that's enough to label something a classic just because of the hype that that the release had. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, that basically the idea of like FOMO in general also makes me think a lot about you know reboots and remakes and things like that because. Uh, because when it comes to the fear of missing out, that is, that's actually an interesting argument to like think about why there is so many reboots. Because we live right now in a world where, even more so than movies, I feel like a lot of TV shows are on the verge of being remade. You know, like Scooby Doo, Say by the Bell, different things like that. Scooby Doo is made is remade every decade. Uh, well, yeah, that too. Every that, decade, that's it true. is remade. I feel like they they were the original re- like consistent reboot of everything else. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Scooby Doo rebooted itself before rebooting was a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Scooby Doo started like in '68, '69, and it rebooted itself in the '70s. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you what do you think about the argument of like profit uh, of like people that obviously all of these industries and things like that that do all of these reboots do you really think that they're pro- that they're prioritizing profit over creativity for sure yeah you're taking advantage of people's nostalgia you're taking people you're taking advantage of people's 
uh, interest in certain projects, you know, even if they're not, may not be a demand for it, you just know that, hey, this thing had a fan base 30 years ago. Uh, we're going to get a team together. Even if it doesn't do good, we know we're going to get their money at the end of the day. That, and that happens constantly. I mean, it, that that's a, that's a consistent truth for real. But I am not going to sit here on my high horse and lie and say that I don't get super hyped about certain reboots because I do, you know. Um, Everybody does. Exactly, exactly. I, I, I will say, though, however, that I do find myself very cynical, you know, whenever they do roll out like a new reboot trailer of like... Uh, like a little mermaid movie or you know or a new tv show or something like that isn't like fresh prince getting a reboot or of a movie it's, already, soon? Uh, it's a reunion it's already out on hbo max mm-hmm. exactly exactly i gotta catch that stuff. Is- but see exactly i'm gonna watch it regardless and they know this they know i'm going to watch it and the thing is is that even though i kn- i think that like us as consumers whenever i'm scrolling through netflix or whenever i'm scrolling through amazon prime or hulu if i see something that's new i am way more hesitant and i think about it way more about whether or not i want to actually hit play uh versus if i you know play the same thing uh as my background show that i have 20 times before and at the at I mean, at the end of the day, like, these people that are making these reboots and these remakes, they're just following consumer culture, you know? Is it that they're, like, the big and bad company because they want to make a dime off of how we behave? Or is it the fact that we're, we're right now, especially with COVID and everything that's gone on this year, like, we're so mentally exhausted that we don't want to expend the mental energy to you know seek something outside of our comfort you know we just want to like like sink our teeth into comfort food comfort music comfort movies and things like that um you know uh, on top of the nostalgia thing the nostalgia thing has a lot to do with it's it a too. big factor yes. that's like probably the biggest factor mm-hmm. and like you said i don't blame these companies for want to make money it's their job yeah at the end of the day they got to turn a profit yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah, you yeah. know if you have to manipulate some people to get that profit then you know go ahead I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not be a part of it because there are definitely like, you know, believe me, there have been plenty of things where I just automatically were like, was like, no, don't care. Not going to watch it. And, you know, I think it's, it goes back to that thing where, you know, you, you, you show what's, what's that old saying? You know, you show through your money, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's, value, important, to you? what's important, you know, you pay, yeah. you know, you pay with your, you know. You pay your val- you pay with your values or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, you, you so like I always tell people like, man, if you really don't like this thing, don't watch it. I know it's hard nowadays, especially with streaming, where it's so easy to watch something, as opposed to like maybe twenty years ago where you had to like go go out and physically buy a DVD, and then you know, but even then, like you know, if you if you don't like something or you have a, a strong criticism as to why you don't want a remake or a reboot of something that you thought was fine as it was, you know. You know, you got to kind of like show through, you know, don't pay for it. Don't don't yeah. watch. Don't don't be that that uh, uh, another number yeah. that that viewed this movie on this streaming site. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to sound like grandpappies over here, like uh, of an older generation uh, that is. I mean, me personally, I, I do get excited over reboots. Yeah. And yeah, I'm saying watch what you want. At the end of the yeah. Day. I'm, we're not being the ultimate say and like do not watch. 
you know, the... Uh, yeah, because to me, like, it makes me sound like a geezer when I'm telling you. It's like, oh, love, like, the old one was so much better. I mean, then this... I mean, it does serve a purpose when you think about, like, parents that have... Millennial parents that have children now, you know? And they, like, straight up want to show their kids, you know, the stuff that they love. Like, I've heard so many times that, um, like, millennial parents uh, try to expose their kids to a movie like Jumanji, you know? But when they look back and they watch Jumanji... You know, depending on how much of a special effects buff you are, like that, that, that shit looks starkly different from when you remember when you were a little kid. And that can be very unimpressive to your like impressionable eight year olds. Like, this is what you used to watch, Ma, you know? So the remakes are good for that reason that, like, you know, it does give it an edge. And so you feel like you can share this if you have children, you know, with a newer generation. Yeah, exactly. I'm about to say. It's good for exposing your 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 children, your nephews, whoever, the young generation, to what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be the exact same thing. I always say if it's done right, go ahead. You know, the, like for example, the Cobra Kai, the Cobra Kai uh, series that was on YouTube and now it's moved over to Netflix. That's a spinoff of the Karate Kid movie. People love it. It's a great series. I've seen some episodes. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Have no problem with it. Like I said, let it be good. Let the work speak for itself. That's what I'm always saying. If it sucks, I'm going to let you know that this is terrible. And that's, that's the biggest problem I have with Disney movies. Yes, I'm glad younger kids are being exposed. And, and Disney is going to keep you doing it. You mean like this. the Disney live action The movies? live action, yes, yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad the kids are being exposed uh-huh. to this. But even then, if you know that this is not a good movie, just show them the original. I'm sorry. Like, maybe, and show, show them both. You know, I have no problem with that. Show them the original, show, show them the newer one, and let them decide what they like better. You mm-hmm. know? Because at the end of the day... You can try to sway their mind while they're while they're you're like your kid, but once they turn eighteen, if they like the live action Aladdin, they're gonna like the they're live action Aladdin. They're gonna lean into what they're gonna lean into, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that also another thing that we wanted to talk about, since we are recording this podcast just a, a mere couple of days before. Uh, Thanksgiving, El Dia del Pavo. And we wanted to talk about the difference between um, remaining in an echo chamber and um, and having a safe space. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up in particular is, again, because El Dia del Pavo is coming up, Thanksgiving is coming up. And for a lot of us, uh, especially, you know, Latinos, Latinxes, is uh, a day where you know we get reacquainted with a lot of family that we haven't seen uh we get reacquainted with a lot of family that we haven't seen in a long time when it comes to when it comes to basically when it comes to echo chambers is that yes here in in living spanglish we're always uh pushing on we're always pushing on doing our best to you know get out of your comfort zone like listen to things that you don't agree with listen to things that make you uncomfortable listen to things that you know challenge the way that you currently think but then like what is the battle what is the difference between doing that and actually like causing yourself like because mental health matters like actual mental harm like being around a person that like would otherwise like harass like like if you're gay and if you go to you know a family gathering and you have like a very like close-minded uncle that's constantly harassing you like is that you getting yourself out of uh, an echo chamber or like removing yourself from from your, that situation, would you consider that putting yourself in a safe space? You know, oh, and I think it gets even more trickier when you talk about like, you know, how you navigate the internet too in your newsfeed. Yeah, because I think Thanksgiving, along with other holidays, it's one of those examples where you're gonna 
get together with people that you normally don't get together with throughout the year mm-hmm. and you see them for that one time a year and they're gonna say something you're gonna be like oh Off crap the wall. here we go again shit that you don't care about and they're probably gonna be drunk and you're uh-huh. gonna be like oh god here we go here, here goes my slightly racist uncle here goes uh-huh. he, here goes him throwing out his far right conservative views at me again mm-hmm. it's only a day i only got to deal with it today I'm lucky that I don't have to deal with that mainly. Mainly, mainly it's more like internal family, <laughs> like actual fighting and stuff like that. More than anything else, no political discourse or like stuff based on you know sexuality. Thank God. Um, I mean, my my family's pretty. You know, my family they're pretty open for the yeah, most part. Yeah, yeah, your family's chill. Yeah, no, they're really chill. You know, but we do we still have our disagreements, stuff like that. I think so. You, so you're saying that even though you may stand on a different side. Uh, are you talking about the people that are trying to like throw their ideas at you, or are you talking about somebody who may n- may not normally be exposed to, like, let's say somebody is gay mm-hmm. and they know that a side of their family is very anti-gay? Mm-hmm. Do you, are you saying that they should put themselves in that space to where you want to hear why they don't like uh, LGBTQ plus? You know. Well, I don't. I don't think that any person in the right mind. When you're just trying to like live your life, like you didn't, you didn't choose to be gay so you could have like a political topic at dinner tables. Like that's not that's not what it is at all. Like, um, I think that those situations, unfortunately, just like being a minority, being black, being whatever, like they sort of come onto you. Like you're just here out here trying to live your life, and then people. And then certain people at a dinner table, certain people from outside environments or outside beliefs will come at you and ask you, you know, questions that you're not comfortable with or things that, you know, sort of disturb your peace in one way or the other. And so when that happens, do you then have are you then in the right to either go ahead and shut it down or should you quote unquote hear what they have to say you know and i feel like that's something that for those of us that try really hard to be objective we struggle with a lot you know because we don't want to put ourselves in a bubble where we're only listening to one opinion but at the same time we don't we're not out here to be harassed we're not out here to uh, there's this phrase that I hear a lot uh, about uh, just making sure that you maintain your peace, you know, and I feel like in order to maintain your peace, sometimes that has to do a lot with filtering out the people that, you know, like make the space around you feel unsafe or make you feel, you know, like out of sorts. Yeah, I think there is a fine line between you being attacked and, you know, wanting to protect your sanity, your your life, your livelihood at the end of the day, and, but not also being stuck in your in your ways. You know, I know a big thing that comes up with a lot of families is, you know, the the whole police brutality thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you have families that, you know, who believe that, no, there's nothing going on. Black people aren't being targeted more than other any other group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you may believe that, you know, you may support Black Lives Matter. You, you know, maybe for defunding the police and it's you know i think it's okay to hear them out you know like i said you know not being stuck in those echo chambers but you got you have to know when to say when is what i'm saying at the end of the day you have to know when to finally like be like okay and everyone's level of that is going to be so different too and yeah. i think that's going to be what's so frustrating is that when you say things like i think it's okay to hear them out like i automatically because uh, i'm not black obviously like uh like I, i'm mexican and 
But when I think about the idea of hearing someone out, it's like, also, that's not that's not my culture being put at risk. That's not like my, you know, black brother walking down the streets that I have to like fear about every day. And I feel that to tell someone that they have to hear another person out when it could be when they're literally talking about what's more or less a life or death situation for them is I can see where that's really, really offensive and I can see where automatically you would want to shut everything down. Like, I don't, it's a very complicated thing for me. I feel like to say, basically what I'm saying is that to say that you can hear someone out, quote unquote, is a privilege if you're not black in that one particular scenario when we're talking about like um, Black Lives Matters and uh, police brutality and things like that. So I feel... I feel wrong in saying that. And also, I said something, um, I, I caught myself saying something on last week's podcast in regards to where I said more or less that you can believe what you're going to believe. You can believe whatever you want to believe and I'm not going to judge you. I am I feel like I misspoke. I am going to judge you. You know, I feel like it's impossible for us. I feel like it's impossible for us as human beings to like exchange a set of values with another human being and not judge that person so if you're out here believing that uh like black people are not targeted by um by police specifically and things like that yes i judge your beliefs on that because i feel like you're not looking at what i can see is the truth and i feel like it's important to have all the evidence. It's important to go ahead and look at all the facts. It's important to really make sure that we're not in a space where we're not repeated, where we're not being fed the same thing over and over and over because there's danger in that. But don't let anyone, depending on your circumstances, ever make you feel like less of a human being just for existing and just for being there. And, um, I feel like um, when it comes to Thanksgiving and things like that, that's almost a little easier to navigate than it is uh, that. No, that's more difficult to navigate than it is your newsfeed because your newsfeed, you can sort of adjust and come and go as you please. But Thanksgiving, it's a it's a lot more complicated because a lot of these people that believe something so drastically differently are people that you love, you know, and it can get really complicated. Yeah. But even then, I was trying to say that. You can speak to them about the importance of like Black Lives Matter, for instance, but also put it in a sense of that where it affects you because police brutality at the end of the day affects everybody. And you can also be a target mm-hmm. is what I'm saying that, you know, while the spotlight matter, while the and that's spotlight people don't talk about. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying while the spotlight is on Black Lives Matter and it should be rightfully mm-hmm. so. You should try to like level with those people who have the opposite idea that you have and be like, you know what, that you know, you can be a victim as well. I know plenty of, you know. Hispanics who have, you know, dealt with police. And it, and it happens all the time, you know, mm-hmm. on that level where, you know, they were being harassed. And hell, and even white people, you know, like there's been a lot of evidence of a lot of them, you know, being uh, uh, being subject to like police brutality. I mean, it's called police brutality, like overall in general. And yes, while black people are being targeted, I feel like that's a discussion that everybody should be open to having. Right, and this isn't like an all lives matter yeah, kind of yeah. thing. We're just saying that th- you know the focus is BLM, but at the end of the day, this is something that could trickle down into any sort of subculture, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the importance of movements like BLM, of the protest that's been going on in the past year. That, that because of the- this, we're able to prevent 
future incidents from happening. You gotta love those fun conversations on turkey days, human beings. You gotta love it, mi gente. I ain't having, I ain't having any of that. Oh my oh, god! No. Thank you. Thank, I thank my hey, shout out to my family for the political ignorance. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Shout out to my family for like uh, very, very, uh, um, very, very flagrant avoidance of anything that's controversial because we just know not to talk about it. But we finna talk about uh god we finna talk about the food we finna talk about babies my little cousin we finna have a good time in my family we're fixing to sing some mariachi and karaoke like that's what my family's all about but um yeah yeah you guys i think that sort of uh, goes ahead and leads us right into our next segment since we've been talking all about uh nostalgia reboots see uh todo eso is uh good looking out now this is the segment where we go ahead and we tell you what me and ricardo mexicano here have been into new movies tv shows things like that and i actually i wanted to go ahead and uh talk about speaking of reboots a talk about animaniacs so this is something that actually the tv show i've been counting down for like three plus weeks i've been counting down for about a good month or so ever since i saw the trailer and for those of you who don't know i mean depending on how you old you are basically animaniacs uh is a reboot of this animation from 1998 um yeah earlier than that well, no, okay, fine. It came off the it air premiered, in 1998. Say, it premiered in 95, I think. Yeah, but yeah. it came off the air in 98. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, no, yeah, it yeah, did yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so it came off the air in 98. Whatever. Details, details. And um, uh, the reason that I love it is basically everybody that I know has been super, super excited about uh, about this reboot. And I, I felt like a surge of like optimism that I hadn't felt in a long time when it came to reboots when i was waiting for it to come out so i'm basically going to focus on four different things here is what i liked what i didn't like what was the same to me and what was kind of different so uh the thing that i love about the animaniacs reboots is that it very much had the same pacing and the same humor um what i uh, and i also the animation the animation was this perfect gorgeous blend of like familiar but also slightly updated which you can very much tell that so much hard work went into this reboot where that's basically what they were going for they wanted you to feel like you were watching the exact same show but like just fresher you know and um and so i feel like they did a really really good job with that now, the thing that obviously, uh, the thing that Animaniacs is known for and the thing that I'm very passionate about it specifically is that Wacko, Yakko, and Dot, they are anarchists. You know, they are very much like the definition of Sind in the Clowns and their job in general. Like even, I know that I, I feel like Animaniacs right now is something that we need now more than ever when we have such a, a culture of like citing completely one way or, or the other. It's, I wanted so desperately to have a show that I could just laugh at and that wasn't telling me what to do and that wasn't telling me what to believe and that, um, 
and that just made fun of everything like left right like um like up down everything and because that's pretty that's uh it was very much political even back in the 90s right um now i will that also just go ahead and like lean into something that i don't like about it which i do feel like this one had a little bit more of political messaging like near the later episodes than uh than the earlier one from the 90s did um you can definitely tell that it's uh, a le definitely a little bit more left leaning which isn't wrong from a personal standpoint for me but when I think about like the kind of shows that I want to watch, the hum comedy for me, everything about comedy, it's funnier when you're not telling me what to believe. It's and that to me, that's why I don't think SNL is funny. You know, uh, it's because it's so it's so ridiculously left, and you know exactly what they believe, and they don't. They, I feel like they don't spend enough time making fun of everything, and that's something that I really appreciated in the older Animaniacs is that they made fun of everything, and. Um, this uh, this most current reboot of it it's it, it makes fun of a lot of left and a lot of right uh but you can definitely see some a uh, very uh, in certain skits and sketches um where they sort of lean one way or the other the songs are back so they have a lot of really wonderful remake there's uh there's one i think about like episode three or so where uh, like dot uh she sings a song about women's suffrage and it makes me laugh so much just because uh it turns into a song about women's suffrage because it's like a hundred years since women have gained the right to vote vote into a a song about cartoon suffrage and cartoons gaining the right to vote and then you see all you know your classic Hanna Barbera characters, you know, a lot of cameos from Bugs Bunny and um and just like uh in the Flintstones and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was a lot of fun. A lot of the uh most of the voice actors are exactly the same. The biggest I think the biggest complaint I would have to say about the show in general would have to be that not all of the characters are back. Obviously, like Wacko, Yakko, and Dot are there, and Pinky and the Brain are there. But when you're th when you look back at the old Animaniacs, you know how like they used to have like five or six different sketches in one episode. Now you have basically it's divided into three segments: Wacko, Yakko, and Dot, Pinky and the Brain, and then like one more song from the Warner Brothers and Sisters, and then that's it. You know, and I feel like for that. Like, once I started watching, like, a couple of episodes in a row, like, the pacing seemed kind of slow to me. So I would say that's probably, like, my biggest complaint is that I don't know if it was a licensing issue that they had with, uh, you know, not bringing back a lot of the other characters, like, uh, like, uh, like the pigeons and, you know, uh, and everything else. Slappy. Yes, Slappy, all of them. So I did miss them a lot. I don't know if they're uh, planning on bringing them back in later seasons. But overall, I thought that it was... I feel like the Animaniacs is definitely something that's... Uh, a, a, a reboot that's validly needed in this world. Um, I feel like it's good, but it's not great. And so I would give it a solid 7.5 out of 10 Veronica stars. Are you ready to hate me? Why? So, I know we watched, like, one or two episodes a uh -huh. few days ago, uh -huh. but this is one of those things where I just don't care. What do you, oh, okay, because it's a it reboot? Was, yeah, that it was made again. Yeah, you know, I cared about it immensely. This it's is something just, I was hyped about. It's just one of those things where it's like, the, the yeah. original Animaniacs is such a, a perfect show. 
and you know, along with you know, Tiny Toon Adventures too, which mm-hmm. came before Animaniacs. You know, that one's getting a reboot too. I mean, they made cameos in that one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just there's just certain things. That, I'm such a very simplistic guy that when something is done once, I'm just like, that's cool. But it, you see, but you see why in in the culture that we live in, why like Animaniacs, if it would have been perfect, if it would have been like a fantastic reboot, it would have been exactly what we needed. Like it would have been like a fresh drink of water in like all of this like touchy feely walk on eggshell sort of environment right. that we're in. And the episodes that, that you showed me weren't weren't bad. They were yeah. good. I mean, you, you still have to finish the the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a couple of episodes away, but for the most part, I'm done. Right, right, right. Um, let me just, you know, kind of backtrack a little. When it comes to animation, I'm a big animation fan. You know, I, I study voice actresses. I study the storyboard, storyboard artists, the actual drawers on the show. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate animation because it expe- it's expensive to do. It's time consuming. Mm-hmm. And a lot goes into it that a lot of people, I think, don't recognize. And even if you do, I don't think they appreciate the work that goes behind animation. So... The people behind the reboot for Animaniacs, you know, kudos to you. I'm pr- I'm sure y'all did your thing to bring it to light. I'm just saying, because I'm a very cynical person at times, I don't care that it came back. You know, I'll make I'll, I'll I'm gonna give it a chance. I'm gonna watch it for sure. It's I, I can't even find words to describe why I feel this way about certain projects. About why. But can you? But honestly, I feel, Kendall, can, I can you remember the last reboot that you got super hyped about? I can't remember the last reboot that you were like all like standing on your chair about. Um, what was it? We're, I think we were talking about a few days ago. Um, God, what was it? What, what was something I really liked that was actually getting remade? Mm, not Saved by the Bell. No, I don't no. care about Saved by the Bell. <laughs> um, no, I don't remember. Was it an anime? No. Has there been any animes that have been remade lately that I... I don't think so. ...that I care for? I mean, the Fooly Cooly, so. the Fooly Cooly remake was cool. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there are some... It's very rare, you know? I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not opposed to reboots. I'm not opposed to remakes if they're done well. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I still have to give the Animaniacs a chance. I mean, I have to give them the show a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying from an initial standpoint, the idea of it bring it being brought back in general doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I got you. Point blank simple. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Well, I think that it is a good respite. I feel like it's a good uh, it's a good source of escapism for you human beings. So me if you want to check it out, I definitely go ahead and recommend it. But I know that you had something on the docket for uh good looking out today. I mean we both could talk about it. We both saw it. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But I wanna I feel like you had a lot stronger set of opinions about it uh than I did. So I really wanna hear what you have to say. Not really a stronger set of opinions. I just mm-hmm. like the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought it was Which is uh yes god yes mm-hmm. i can't it's on netflix i think it's been out it's been out for a while i think when did it originally come out i think it came out in let's see yeah uh, i know it's very very recent it came out like within the july. last month or so came yeah. on july oh wow yeah that's even sooner july 24th yeah. and it's set in like 90 i'm gonna say late 90s 97 98 because the clear indication when you start the movie watching it you see the old computers you see the old keyboards and they're on aol so it immediately takes you back. It's either ninety nine, early. It's either two thousand, two thousand one, ninety nine, ninety eight, somewhere around there. And it's based on this girl who is named what was her name? Alice. <laughs> Alice. Okay, 
So they basically a girl named Alice. She goes to a Catholic school, and like a lot of girls in that age of it of um in high school, and especially going to a Catholic high school, you know, you get curious, you know, especially when it comes to your sexuality and growing in puberty, and it really touches on what it means to you know trying to figure yourself out but not knowing that you're not the only one who's messed up mm-hmm. you know where you feel like oh my god I'm, I'm doing all this evil stuff god's gonna punish me i'm doing all this sin he said that there she's in a catholic school right yeah. right yeah in the Catholic. so that, that played a lot into the into it but at the same time knowing that everybody else around you is doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. and that you shouldn't feel any less you shouldn't feel ashamed because everybody's gonna make mistakes and not even mistakes you know, you're gonna, you're just gonna do things that, out of curiosity, that's gonna happen. You know, not, I feel not, like I've seen her in other movies before, but I can't remember what else that she's been in. She does look familiar. Her real name is Natalia Dyer. Yeah, no, it's not ringing a bell, but her face seems really familiar. Yeah, no, I mean, I liked the movie a lot. I feel like uh, I'm constantly saying that, like, we're always that we could always use more movies when it come, uh, more movies specifically about, you know, coming of age, female sexuality, you know, because we have so many, like. Uh, we have so many movies when it comes to guys, uh, you know, uh, during their teenage years, you know, being exposed to, you know, like women and, you know, like what it's like to, you know, uh, have all these feelings for the first time, this, that and the other. And we have the to do list with Aubrey Plaza. We have this movie. EZA. Yeah, EZA. Like, literally, I could probably count them on a single hand. You She's know, got, um, what's that one with, uh, um, Freddie Jr. or whatever it's called. Um, Freddie Jr.? Um, God, what am I? Uh, uh, she's got it like that. Oh, you mean you mean she's got to have it? She's got to have it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, one's yeah. like, way, that's a Spike Lee film, like way back. Uh, no, 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 no. Not, not she's got to have it. Yeah. Well, that one, but uh, yeah. uh, Freddie Prince Jr., the one with Freddie Prince Jr. in it. I don't remember that one, no. But, but you see, like, we can't even name them off the top of our head. So I feel like that was something that was really refreshing because I was... Really curious how far this movie was going to go. She's all that. Oh, she's all that. Okay. How far this movie was going to go into, you know, women having like, sorry, girls having these like budding feelings and things like that. And now like, tell you what, like now I'm at an age where like watching teenagers like have sex or have like uh, sexual like experiences uh, experiences is really kind of weird to me. Like it really is. I'm like, what? Like, when I was in my early 20s, like, I used to not think anything of it. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, they're just a couple years removed. You know, I can relate to that still. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, I could be, like, your very, very, very young parent. Like, this is weird, you know. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie, too. Um, would I would I say that, like, I was, uh, like, super... Um, I relate a lot of it because I grew up Catholic and stuff, but I wouldn't say that it's that I, I was as crazy about it. It doesn't have the same sense of humor as something like EZA or something like that, which makes it a little more digestible. But it was it was definitely a good watch. Yeah, for sure. And I think I also like the the take it took. Cause this isn't a spoiling thing, but mm-hmm. it's you know, you think it's going to be that traditional trope of like, oh, it's this, hack, this Catholic school girl. She's going to try to be as slutty as possible. But instead, it takes this this turn where she's just you know trying to figure herself out you know and this and you know there's this rumor that's floating around 
and she's over here trying to like disprove everybody everybody like no that didn't happen and, but in but at the same time that rumor that's going on she don't even know what it means mm-hmm. so yeah. even, so so we showed <laughs> i didn't know what it meant when i was her age either shit right. and i'm like i relate chick i totally legit right like, so like there's like the so it's like this thing where everybody thinks this thing of you but you don't even know what the thing is yeah and meanwhile everybody else around you is you know full force just send it going crazy and doing it, their it's their totally thing. in that sense it totally took me back to because i grew up pretty uh sheltered especially in my late teenage years when it comes to like sexuality and things like that i didn't learn things until like i was way older and uh it uh definitely reminds me of like me constantly having to go to my friends like what does this even mean like that's something that happened constantly in the film she she asked people it's like what does this even mean and like nobody would believe her that she didn't she didn't understand which was crazy to me yeah so yeah uh yes god yes netflix uh check it out it's like not the long it's like an hour and a half i think it's pretty it's a pretty quick watch and uh, yeah very uh, enjoyable i mean How many I, you got those stars? I say eight i say eight well 7.7 7 to uh, yeah 7.7 7. 7.7 7 out of 10 yeah. Ricardo stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And I think with that, we are going to go ahead and uh, send you guys uh, lots and lots of love and lots and lots of good eating for the following week. Um, and we will see you next week on the In Living Spanglish podcast. We out. <laughs>